So we are celebrating Christmas in 2022. It seems that the last Christmas just was here not too long ago, right? Time just flies by. Today, we are going to look at three brief passages from Scripture in order to remind ourselves what Christmas is really all about. So I've put those on the screen, and we're going to read them together. If you are able, please arise for the reading of God's Word. First scripture will be from Isaiah, <clears throat> chapter 9, verse 6. The Word of the Lord reads as follows. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his, king, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Next scripture would be John chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 14. It reads as follows. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Our third scripture will be from Matthew 1, verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. You have given us these passages in your word that we could refer to, which remind us of the main character of the Bible, which is Jesus, for Jesus said himself that all that is written in the scriptures are about him. May your Holy Spirit, Lord, give us then the understanding of this most profound truth this morning. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so most of us, if not all of us, will have some sort of memory about Christmas either when we were children or maybe younger. I have a specific memory about Christmas. I remember uh, growing up in Mexico as a child, our Christmas would typically consist of going to the town where my dad's side of the family lived. Thinking back, it was maybe a, a two or at most a three-hour drive, but to me in that time, it, it seemed just... Really, really long drive, very long drive. One specific memory of us going, my, my parents taking my, my sister and I to, to that uh, small ranch, is that the three kids at that time, it was me, my sister, and my cousin, each of us got a beach ball. And, you know, kids nowadays have higher expectations, but to us, that was like super rad to have a, a beach ball. My uncles and my grandfather, the men of the house, they were cooking carnitas in the corner of, of the patio. And when I received my ball, I was so happy. And the first thing I was told, be careful not to go and play near the fire pit where they are cooking. Which, when one ear came out the other. So I, out I went. I kicked that beach ball in the first direction that beach ball took and went and ended up in guess where in the fire pit yep and it burned away less than a couple of minutes of enjoyment that i had now 
I thought about crying and complaining, but if I did, it would have been even worse. So I just took it and I just shut my mouth and I, I suffered in silence. So that's a very memorable Christmas story that I have. <clears throat> Some of you may have a story as well, right? As, as we think back. Now, although the Christmas season was something that myself and my family acknowledged, thinking back, I realize now that I actually did not know what Christmas was really about. So even today, if I'm not constantly reminded of what Christmas is really about, even me as a pastor, as I'm up here preaching, I could quickly forget or neglect the true meaning of Christmas because we are prone to forget. And therefore, I would suggest that perhaps it is the case with all of you here that if we are not reminded, we either have not grasped what Christmas is all about or we did, but we kind of seem to forget. So today, we have come to the right place. Leads me to the main point of the sermon. We're going to answer the question here while I get a little cough drop so I don't cough. Thank you, Brother Johnny. <clears throat> the sermon title, Christmas. What, who, and why? And the point of today's sermon is going to be answering the old age question that Charlie Brown once asked. What is Christmas all about? We will address that question today in the format that the sermon is titled. What, who, and why? So let us take a look at the first point, what. We're going to look at the first scripture we read today from Isaiah 9-6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now the book of Isaiah, where this is written, it was penned approximately 700 years before the birth of Christ. That's a relatively long time, right? And it is bluntly and explicitly predicted that this Savior, Jesus, would be born. The promise says that he will be born, that he will be a gift and that he will ultimately establish his kingdom and his rule. When it says that the government will be upon his shoulder, that's a language depicting sovereignty. He will be in charge. And then we are told something about his identity. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, which we will deal a little bit more in point two. We're not there yet. Okay. So why is it such a big deal? that the Bible predicted in the ancient writings of the Old Testament that this baby, this son, was going to be born. It was decreed before the foundations of the earth that God the Father would send his son. We see this even in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis. I'll quickly reference here Genesis 3.15. says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, meaning the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And then it says, he shall bruise your, your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So this is a reference to when Adam and Eve fell in sin, disobeyed God, and therefore all of humanity became infected by that sin, including myself and you, there is a promise 
that God would send through the seed of the woman one that would bruise the serpent's head. I mean, will destroy the serpent and everything that entails that evil. And the Savior would crush his heel, meaning he was not going to come uh, unharmed, which speaks of the suffering of Christ. Then 500 years later, I mean, 500 years before the birth of Christ, the prophet Micah similarly wrote a prophecy of where Jesus would be born, Micah 5.2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler of Israel. Okay? So we see consistently in the Old Testament the prediction that there is this child to be born. Okay? So what is such a big deal about this child to be born, right? Obviously, children were being born at that time. Uh, all the time. So what is the big deal about this prediction of this child? Well, we begin to see a, a clue of why this is so important when we look at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, the first two verses. It's talking about King Herod dealing with the fact that this child that had been announced is now here, is now born. It reads as follows. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east, came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. Okay, now, wait, what? A child is born, and there's people coming, being drawn to him, and they've come, in, they've come to worship him. Like, whoa, 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 what's going on now, right? So someone who is king at that time, Herod, King Herod, he's seeing that these people are looking for this child to worship him, and his attitude is, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I don't mind babies being born, but now I'm seeing that these people are quoting from the Old Testament and are saying that he's king and he's going to rule, and not only that, but they're actually going to worship him. No, whoa, whoa, this, this, this is not good, right? So he immediately, Herod takes matters into his own hands, and he orders the slaughter of infants in order to ensure that this king that has been announced is taken care of by killing him. And this king, this ruler, would therefore not be a threat to him. Okay? So now we start to see what happened it's not an ordinary child that is born because there's something that is unlike any other child that has ever been born so brings us to the second point who right what there was a child promise the child has been born so who is this john chapter 1 verse uh, verse 1 and 14 this is the second pass the second main passage that we read in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus, there in the Gospel of John, is identified as the word, Logos. That word, to describe Jesus, is where we get the word logic from. In what sense is that description of Jesus applied? 
When we take a look at the text, the implication of this, as one of the Bible commentaries says, I quote, it says, a title of Jesus understood as God's ultimate communication of truth about himself. Not about himself, about who? God or about Jesus? Yes. Okay, which we will see. It's both. Now, this person who communicates explicitly and exactly the truth about God is Jesus. That is who we are talking about. This is why the significance of the prophecies from the Old Testament being fulfilled in the birth of Christ. Now, there's a key to this. In addition to his word, right, the, the scriptures, the Bible, the way that God chose to reveal himself to his creation is by humbling himself and entering his creation. This is what it means when we are told in verse 14 of the first chapter of John that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God took on human form, and being God of very God, as one of the creeds states, as part of his eternal plan, as predicted in the Old Testament by God himself, God became flesh. This is something that theologians refer to as the incarnation, meaning that God Almighty came to us, not only in spirit, but in flesh. Hence, this is why those those very few that understood what the scriptures meant and what the scriptures predicted were searching for this child and had come to worship him because they knew that as one of his titles explains, Emmanuel literally means God with us. And they knew that God is now with us and we want to come and worship him. A theologian of our day, Joe Beakey, explained this as follows. He said, trying to grasp the incarnation of God Almighty becoming a human is almost as if somebody asks a painter to draw a mountain in a grain of sand. You can't do it. You can't understand it. And for us, God humbling himself, it is something that is very difficult for us to understand. So let us not think lightly of the incarnation of the coming of God Almighty himself in the form of the creation that he created himself. Now, for the Jews, worshiping anyone other than God is a huge sin, idolatry. And us Christians would tell our Jewish friends, we absolutely agree with you. We should not worship anyone who is not God. Jesus is God. Worship him. So who is Jesus then? Well, Jesus is God Almighty who took on human form in order to enter his creation. This is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, humbling himself, becoming a baby, being born in the most humble of places. Let us take a look at Colossians 1, verse 15, and then chapter 2, verse 9. It's describing who Jesus is. <clears throat> Talking to Jesus, it says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Now, when the Bible talks about deity, about attributing the characteristics of God Almighty to someone, it only does that to Jehovah God. 
it is attributing that here to Jesus. What does that mean? Jesus is God. He is the full representation in bodily form of God Almighty. Any other instances in which humanity has tried to worship an idol, the Bible condemns immediately and explicitly. And here is telling us who Jesus is. So then what does this tell us of who Jesus is as we explore the real true meaning of Christmas this morning? We are confronted with this. We are confronted with the true identity of Jesus. When we let Jesus speak for himself in his word about who he is, we get an entirely different picture of who our culture, of who the elite say, and even many false religions of who they say that Jesus is. Recently, I was listening to a message by Vadi Bakum, and he explained this very well. So I will paraphrase what he said. He basically said the following, people do not have a problem with Jesus being a baby. Everybody's fine with that. Our culture does not have really a problem with Jesus being a good man. He did many good things. Or being a good teacher. Yeah, he taught a lot of things. Maybe I could learn a thing of two from Jesus. Or even being a good prophet. There's false religions that believe that Jesus was a prophet. And they acknowledge that. Mormons, Muslims, Buddhists, and even atheist philosophers are okay with the fact that Jesus was a good man, a wise teacher, even a good prophet, right? And a person that we can learn something from. But in each of those instances, every person can bend and shape and fit whatever mold best fits the description of Jesus to who we want Jesus to be. Whatever mold fits our habits, our mind, our lifestyle. What people do have a problem with is the following. When we are confronted with the fact that Jesus is not only a good man, he was a perfect man. Not only a wise teacher, he was a perfect counselor. Not only a prophet, but he is God Almighty. Jesus is creator. He is your maker. Jesus is the one who existed from eternity past and entered his created world in the form of a baby and grew up to be a man in a specific point in history. Jesus is the one who I have been, who you have been in rebellion against. And this Jesus is the one who calls the shots on what good is and on what evil is, on what is right and wrong. And because we are part of his creation, we are subject and accountable to him, and we are called to worship him. Now, when we present that Jesus very quickly, whoa, I don't want nothing to do with that Jesus. Who is he to tell me what to do? At that point, that little Herod in our hearts is in full active mode and will ask, how can I do away with that Jesus? Is that not true in our culture? and in our own personal lives. The moment we are confronted with the true identity of Jesus, our first instinct is to flee. I don't want anything to do with that Jesus. 
takes us to the, per, to the third point. Why? We saw who? And then first we saw what? Now let's see why. Why did Jesus come? Matthew one twenty one, which is our third main text of today, says, speaking to Mary, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. There it is. So why did Jesus come? To have his people be saved from their sins. Right? Many times we think of Christmas and people are typically okay. Say Merry Christmas. If we imply that, yes, he came, Jesus, Merry Christmas, because he came to forgive us, to forgive you of our sins. Well, wait a minute. Right? Again, the objections begin. So let us consider that for a second. When we say that we have sin and Jesus comes to save us from what does that mean? What is sin? Sin is the breaking of God's law. God's law is perfection. And sometimes we put it in lighter terms, like, well, nobody is perfect. Of course, I've made a mistake, right? That's sin. It's missing the mark, literally drawn from the concept of shooting at targets. If you get an arch, an arrow, you shoot, you miss. You miss the mark. That's where the word comes from. Missing the mark that God has established, which is his perfect character, his law. So then who is a sinner? The Bible tells us that everybody is, all of us. There's no one that does good, no, not one. All have fallen astray, right? All have fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus came to save sinners, right? So we saw a little bit of what sin means. What about save? Like, I'm, I'm fine. I don't need any saving. Like, I think I'm going to be fine, right? Save from what? Well, God tells us that as we are born sinners, Infected by original sin from our parents, Adam and Eve, right? The best way I illustrate that often is, do we need to teach our children to lie or to be ungrateful or to be rebellious? No, they're naturally that way. That's original sin in action. You know, all of us have that. So when we are born sinners and live by nature and choice in disobedience to God, there is an ultimate consequence to that. If we break the loss of the land or if we break speed limit and we're busted by the cop, there's consequences to that. Breaking the law has consequences. The ultimate law is the law of God. And we are told that the wages of sin is death. Meaning that as we all have sinned, unless there's something done about it, the consequence of that breaking of the law will be eternal death. The righteous judgment of God to sinners who reject him is to let them go where they are already going, to eternal condemnation in hell, in separation from God. Now notice I said, unless something is done. Thankfully, something was done. And this is what we're talking about this morning. Jesus came to save sinners, to call sinners to repentance, to make a 180 turn from our sinful and disobedient lifestyle to turn to Christ. Because He, being God in human flesh, Jesus, he lived the perfect life that you and I cannot live. I remember as a non-Christian many years ago, I thought, well, what's the deal with this Christians? Like, oh, like, they think I can't be good? Of course I can be good. Watch. And even in that thought, I'm already sinning because I think I could be perfect. Right? How foolish is that? We cannot be good in our own because the standard is not to be 
better than your neighbor. The standard is to be perfect. And none of us can do it. So Jesus lived that life. The Bible tells us that Jesus committed no sin. And even when his accusers came, Jesus said, why are you doing this to me? And they said, we don't, we're not going to kill you for doing good things because you did many good things. Nobody objected to that. But because you, claiming to be a, you a mere man claiming to be God, you are committing blasphemy. Jesus was killed, murdered for what he said, what he stood for, not for what he did. So then notice that scripture says then that as Jesus came to live that righteous life that you and I cannot cut it, he was crucified, he was buried, but he rose again from the death on the third day, defeating sin, death, and darkness. And notice that it says that Jesus came to save his people from their sins. Who are his people? Those who put their faith and trust in his identity, in his true identity of him being God Almighty, stepping into a turn into a away from eternity into his creation and in his work, his virgin birth, his perfect life, his death and resurrection. That faith in Jesus, in the true Jesus, assures us that we would have salvation by trusting in him. All the goodness of Jesus, his moral bank account, if you will, is transferred to ours. So that in the day of judgment, as in Sunday school we saw, in Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for all men who wants to die. You will die one day. And then the judgment. When that judgment hits, our moral bank account is full. And it is paid so that we can attain eternal life. From there comes a changed heart, changed mind, a new lifestyle, which includes continued repentance, turning away from our own self from our sin and turning to Jesus on a daily basis. So then, what are a couple of reflections that we can think of as we consider the true meaning of Christmas? First, just that, what is Christmas all about? To answer Charlie Brown's question, right? Well, to remind you of this, God is holy. You, I, we are sinners. If left to ourselves, we have no hope and are on our way to hell. But God, being so gracious, so good, while we were yet sinners, He sent Jesus so that He would die in our place. God Himself came to this earth that He created. This God that we're talking about is Jesus. And we are called to put our faith in Him. In order to be made right with God. That is what we celebrate. The coming of God into his creation. So that he may save us. Secondly, as we saw who the true Jesus is briefly. Please know this, my friends. Jesus, the true Jesus, demands a response. The cultural Jesus, the false Jesus, demands nothing. You can do whatever you want. The true Jesus demands a response. We recall here in the scriptures that we read that Herod and the wise men, neither of them ignored Jesus. You cannot ignore Jesus. You must do something with the information you have about him. The wise men were led to him, were drawn to him. 
and they came to worship him. While Herod wanted to do away with Jesus. Notice none of them re rejected the reality that Jesus was there. So today, you either are being led and drawn by God's Holy Spirit, being convicted of sin into forgiveness and salvation, or you will reject Jesus, as Herod did, and try to do away with Jesus. Now, Jesus was not done away with, and he's not going to be done away with. You will not be able to do that. Rejection of Jesus was ultimately will lead to Jesus' rejection of you. So then what? Thirdly, this very day, the call is, as we are told in the scriptures, to repent and believe, to trust in Christ, to do as the wise men did, and to worship Jesus. I will close with this quote from J.I. Packer. It says the following, quote, The Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity, hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory, unquote. So my friends, this morning as we celebrate Christmas and say Merry Christmas to each other, let us be reminded of the great and profound truth that God has provided a son, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, God Almighty himself, so that by his work, we can become sons of God and enter into the kingdom of God. Let us give thanks and let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning, for you have been so good to us in reminding us of the real meaning of Christmas. May we know that the greatest gift has been given, which is Jesus, his gift of salvation unto us, that comes by faith alone, in Christ alone. Not by anything we can do, because we can never do enough to please you, Lord. Only Jesus does. May that truth ring in our minds, in our hearts. And may we be like the wise men, being drawn to Jesus in repentance and with a heart of worship. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.